God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, Glory family, you can have a seat. I'll tell you that it was planned to bring up the come to me, all you who are weary, and I wasn't planning to bring it there, but there you go. But it's because this morning we are talking about partly that word come, coming, drawing near to God. There, if you've been with us at all, we're in a brand new series that we've called This Isn't It. And uh, it has traveled through some very hard topics because I know a Savior who came into a world that was very structured in a way very different than the way that he created it. I mean, our world's economy, it is very different. Our God's economy decides to take the less than, the, the, the incomplete, and make it beautiful. And that's just not a part of the world's economy. And so this whole series this year, if you've been with us, we've been battling uh, our go-to responses to life, how we view things. And we're looking at the stories of Jesus because often he comes into a situation, and it's never, you know, using the phrase, this isn't it. But he comes into a situation and pretty much just says how you're doing it, how you view yourself, how you view life, how you view worship, how you view giving. It isn't it. How you view uh, your community, how you view my kingdom, how you view life to its fullest. It isn't it. It's not all that it could be, all that it should be. And so this whole series has been diving into that. And I am excited to be with you this morning in it. Um, and one of the words that we're going to get into this morning is the word come. Come. Maybe this will take a little bit of time for you, but when was the first time that you felt like you came to Jesus? Do you remember that? Maybe it was as a child. Maybe the first time you came to Jesus was this altar call and it was, it was out of joy. Maybe the opposite. It was out of hunger and desperation as a young adult on your knees and you said, I am, I'm at my wit's end and I need you, Jesus. When was the first time you came to Jesus? We're going to be talking a lot about this drawing near aspect. I'll also ask this, when was the first time, maybe you grew up in church and so you can't really remember this, but do you remember the first time you came to a church? where you drew near to God's people? Do you remember the first time maybe you came to Glory Church? Maybe that's today. <laughs> uh, may, maybe that was online a while ago. It's very interesting, our coming to things, our drawing near, it plays a huge part in a few things. And so if you've been with us at all throughout this series, we've been teaming up two different words every single message. The first one was the, the word spirit and the word truth and how Jesus radically changed how we worship. Then after that, it was the word seeing and believing. And we talked about having faith without sight. And, and then last week, if you were with us, the words were giving and living. How our life, if we, uh, if we give spontaneous and if we give with limits, then our Faith-filled living will be spontaneous, ups and downs, and it will have limits. Our giving and living are so connected. And this morning, I'm a little excited and nervous to bring you what this phrase is. The two words we have, if you're taking notes, write this down. This morning, the two words is why I come. You knew that one. 
And the other was, is when I run. In fact, over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus' interaction, come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. He is transforming their coming. They're drawing near. And what we overlook is his whole presence also completely transforms this word run and how unneeded and unnecessary and non-existent it is for God's economy to run. And so he is bringing something very different And if I'm honest, this will be a make you or break you topic. Why I come to God in prayer. Why I come to him to worship. Why do I come to church? Why do I come to to, uh, godly friends? Why do I come? And then why do I run? What, What are the moments that I run away? This thing is very connected. Our answer to why you approach Jesus is hugely and widely connected to the moments when you run. And they're connected and hurt. I wrote this down that, that we, we flee often. We put up walls. That's a type of running. We, we, we are ready to hit the eject button. We are, we are ready to engage in our defense mechanisms. Did you know that your coming to Jesus will forever be hurt by that, those defense mechanisms or walls that we have? And so Jesus, he changes a whole lot of our perspective. Did you know that the average person, and this is not, this is real, uh, it's not made up, the average person fears that the people love, that they love the most are runners. The average person fears that the people that they love the most are runners, that they're just are going to leave, that they're going to back out, that when the going gets tough, they will leave, they will be gone, they will be neglected. I mean, maybe you feel that too. The average person has a hard time believing that someone's really going to be there for them because we have just normalized the word run. That when things are difficult, we back out. When things are difficult, we check out. When things are difficult, we put up the walls. Uh, And though it may be easier for me to put that running tendency on someone else, like let's just be honest, there is an eject button in all of our hearts. Like there's that eject button in all of our hearts and it's there for safekeeping. It's there when I'm, when I'm ready or when it's hard. There's an eject button in my heart when, when the conversation gets too hard or when the prayers aren't working or there's an eject button when I don't feel like God is there or when my life gets too difficult or when church is boring or when the, the pastor says something that we don't want to hear. There's that eject button. When things get difficult, it starts blinking. It's in all of our hearts, this running tendency to duck out, that we don't want to be seen for what we fear we are, so we leave. I wrote this down, that the possibility of running just really destroys so much of our coming. I have a best friend, one of my best friends, uh, we hung out the other month, I think a month and a half ago, and he was talking about some struggles that he had with his coworker. Do you have struggles with your coworker, anyone? Um, but he was telling me a struggle that he has with his coworker who just keeps saying in almost every conversation or anything bad happened, he just like keeps throwing out this phrase, well, I'm going to get fired for this. Or, oh, they're going to fire me for this. Oh, they're going to fire me for this. And he's like, Greg, I just, I just can't take this coworker. We actually had to ban him from using those phrases. It's a joke, but we all know it's not a joke. There's something deep down inside of him 
that has that eject button and it's like the, the moment's going to come when they fire me and I'm going to need to go run. I'm going to run. It's inside of him. And think about it, the possibility then of the run, that being on the back burner, that being an option, it changes how he engages in his work. Think about it. The reason they said you can't say that word anymore is because he shows up to work and it changes how confident he is or it changes his level of vulnerability. It changes the authority that he has as a leader. It changes his peace, his relationship. Think about this. If running is a possibility for you, then you will always have one foot in and the next one ready to run, right? If running is always a possibility, if, if the, the crap is going to hit the fan and you have to plan, then you will always come prepared to leave. And this is literally what everyone did for Jesus, you are making good things happen in my presence. You're healing people, but the moment it's going to get rough, like I already have my plan, my, my legs already out ready to run away. And if you know anything, Jesus hangs on the cross and everyone for the most part who has been a committed comer of Jesus, a follower, a draw nearer of Jesus, they've ran, they've run, they've dispersed. We hit the eject button. It's a real thing. But I need you to write this down if you're taking notes. In the kingdom of God, there is no running, no fleeing. In the kingdom of God, there's no running. Did you know when it talks about temptation in scripture, it doesn't say run from temptation, though, though we think of that. What it does say is avoid temptation. But the, the, the verse that uses the word flee, it says resist the devil and he will flee. Why? Because he's not a part of the kingdom of God, and there's no reason for him to be sustained. There's no reason for him to be grounded. There's no reason for him to be confident in the presence of a confident God. But in the kingdom of God, there's no running, no fleeing. We resist, and he flees, but we've got it so mixed up in our world. It says when it's hard, have that backup plan. Have that plan B. Have that fallback plan. Scripture says no heights, no depth no depth, nor anything else in all of creation will separate you from the love of God. Like there's no heights nor depth that can separate you. King David got this. He wrote this uh, in, in Psalm 139. It would have been a song that they sang, an anthem, and he says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens and high places on the mountaintops, you're there. If I, if I try to get in my ego even, like there's, there's some the beauty of, of what this is saying. You're there. And if I make my bed in the depths and the lowest places in Sheol and my despair, you're still there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will hold me fast. There is no fleeing in the kingdom of God. But why am I programmed to do so? Why am I programmed to when God isn't answering my prayers, me try to find another way around it, right? That is another way of running. When I, when I feel like God is silent and me trying to take matters into my own hands, I have ran. There's no running in the kingdom of God. There's coming to him, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. But I wrote this, that until I, as a man, an individual, until you address your coming and running, 
then your presence with Jesus will always be damaged, limited, not as much as it could be. Until you address your problem with running, then your coming will always be limited. You will come here. You will be in his presence. You'll miss the beautiful invitation. And that doesn't mean that you're not a believer because many of us are, but God has asked us to take steps forward. And the enemy loves to get us running. I wrote this down that at times the most harmful fleeing actually never involves our feet. Did you know that? The most harmful type of fleeing never involves our feet. Some of you, you have parents who ran out, literally left you when you grew up. But then others, if we we're honest, the most harmful type of fleeing at the time is the parent who was there but not there, right? Who was there but not there. They ran away, but they were present in it the whole time. At times the most harmful fleeing that you and I do It never involves our feet. My body will be here, but my mind isn't. My body may be here, but my heart isn't. My spirit has checked out. And when it comes to modern Christianity, when it comes to our American Christianity, I think this is one of the biggest lures of the enemy, is to say, hey, fill up a seat in a gymnasium. Check that off your list. But don't be there presently. Be there in person. Make yourself feel good. Serve when the opportunity comes. Check out children's ministry. Do it. Show up. But don't show up. You know the difference. You know the difference. This is the the beautiful thing that the enemy thinks he's doing is I will hurt their coming by nuancing running. It's not going to look like them not being present. It's going to look like them being there but checking out. And I think that we trip into that all the time as believers, and our coming is hurt, not by running, running, but being what we can say, MIA, right? MIA. We all know what that means, missing in action. I wonder how many times we are missing in the kingdom action. We're missing out of it. We're missing out on the kingdom action. Did you know that in this place right now, lies are being spoken as I'm speaking? Did you know that in this place right now, God is redeeming things? Did you know that in our city right now, there are marriages that are on the cusp of failure or redemption? Did you know that the kingdom is moving forward? That even when I don't bring peace, God is bringing peace. That even when I don't bring love into my home, God is loving. And I wonder how many times we are missing in the action of the kingdom. And it has nothing to do with physically running away, but everything to do with just not being present. I think this is the crux of the American church, is a pandemic hits and we struggle to be present with people. We're missing in the action of the kingdom. Did you know that the good things are also happening? In your homes, there's life. Are you present to it? In your homes, in your marriages, there are issues that God is trying to bring redemption in, but are we MIA? Are we missing in the action of the kingdom? I'll tell you, if our hearts are still conditioned to run, then we will miss the depth and beauty of the come. I need you to write that down. If our hearts are are still conditioned to run, which they are, like can we all agree on that, then we are going to miss the depth and beauty of the come. And so what does that mean? What are we going to come like? 
often we get stuck in coming out of obligation, come out of duty. It's Sunday morning, I'm serving on the setup team, I gotta be there at eight o'clock. Did you know that we do that? We have to set all this up, we get there and out of duty, out of obligation, you'll come. But can I tell you that obligation is never going to lead you to genuine obedience. Obligation will never lead you to genuine obedience. And what happens when running is a possibility? It leads us to only doing things out of duty, out of duty. And we become like the older brother and the prodigal son. Do you know that story? The son comes back home. He left his father with his father's inheritance. He squandered it. He lost it all and is coming back home expecting to just be hired as a helping hand. And, and the father redeems him, brings him into the household, serves him a huge feast. And the son, the older son, the other brother is bitter. You see, obligation will never lead to genuine obedience. Obligation will lead to resentment. This is the iconic old people in the church. I know none of, none of our older people are like this, right? No, this is the iconic older person in the church who gets really angry when change happens because they're like, no, this is all about duty and, and, and have a hard time realizing that obedience has nothing to do with duty. Obedience has everything to do with love, and so there's this resentment attached. I wonder how many of our running hearts have made us really resentful when it comes to God. You now pray out of duty. You now pray because you're supposed to every night. But when it comes to God and his inability to answer your prayers, you have an, a piece of bitterness toward him. You have a piece of bitterness. Or... At times, we can hurt the beauty of the coming by only coming to him when we're in need, only coming to him when, when the issue has arised, only coming to him when we are struggling, and it just destroys the beauty of what Jesus is doing. We have a running problem, and we have to get it fixed. We've got to get it figured out. And so, I will tell you on this, uh, honestly, I think we've got to ask ourselves, why do I run? Why do I run? Why do I go MIA? Why when a struggle happens in my marriage, my go-to response is defense mechanisms? Why when I have an issue and I ask God and he feels silent, my go-to response is handle it on my own? Why is this running tendency so real in my heart? We can name it anger. We can name it uh, control. We can name it, name it fear or doubt. But can I give you a word that I think in, uh, just captures all of those? The word is this, shame, shame. Now, I don't know if you're very familiar with the word shame. I don't know if you like the word shame. Not many of us like it. Um, shame is a really interesting one. That's like talking to, pu talking to like little kids about puberty, right? It's like you're in a room full of fourth graders and you're trying to talk about, you know, the changes of our body and then the room is just awkward. That's what happens often when we bring up shame. We're adults. We don't feel shame. We... <laughs> No, we don't feel ashamed. And you feel like this awkward thing in the room. You see, a background of me, many of you don't know this, but I have actually spent a lot of my adult life researching this word shame. Um, I believe that it has destroyed a whole lot of my confidence as a, as a younger man. Uh, I, I believe that it has destroyed a whole lot of obedience in the church, the word shame. 
You see, we don't feel shameful for the things that we've done. That's guilt. We feel shameful because of this wrong belief of who we are. Shame hits on so many different things. And I I researched it because Jesus, like, takes away our sin and shame. Scripture says that. So then why do we still feel this heaviness of not being enough? How do we still feel this heaviness of, of of, of, of not making the mark? When that happens, we want to run, right? When we don't feel enough, we run. And, and I, I need you to separate this from guilt. Guilt is a godly thing. When, we, when you do something wrong, you should feel guilty, all right? So repentance happens. But shame is when you start taking it into who you are. I've done wrong because I am wrong. And the person who believes they're wrong will always run when they get close to the presence of Jesus, When he says, come to me, they'll say, I'm not worthy. Or when he says, come to me, they say, no, I I have to do this on my own. When he says, come to me, there are pieces of our heart that still feel, but you won't like it. Shame causes us to run over and over. And I will tell you as we battle this, I got a little spoiler for you. It's going to deal with a whole lot of lies. So if you're taking notes, write this down, that my running, or we can say my shame, it is fueled by a deeply rooted and very personal lie. You want to know why you run? It's because your heart still believes lies. And hey, that's okay. Mine does too. You want to know why my my children react to wrong things? It's because they believe lies about how things should be or how they should respond. We do the same thing. You run, you go MIA, you put up walls because you have deeply rooted and very personal lies. So I want this to stay up here while I give you this. Uh, We're going to sort of shift directions, but you'll see they're connected. Do I have any Lion King lovers in the room? Lion King lovers? Oh, hey, we got some. Woo! Yeah. I grew up a 90s kid. I had the bedding and everything, right? Simba on my bed sheets. Like, I had, I had it all. Like, Lion King is just a good Walt Disney movie. Some of you, you're at the catchy tunes, you know, Akuna Matata. We got that. It's got a good storyline. But I don't know if you have ever realized how beautifully it depicts the, uh, the battle of shame, it depicts the battle of shame so well. In a, in a story that lasts like less than two hours, we see Simba experience shame, run away, and then have to figure out what is real truth and what were the lies that he was fed. Now, now we can like say, oh, that's a cute little movie. It, felt, it was a feel-good movie. But if we actually sit in on this, we can see that his running, his shame was fueled by a deeply rooted and very personal lie. Do you remember the, like, the, the hard part of the story? This is probably the number one reason why I haven't let my kids watch. You remember the, the, the beginning of the story, Simba? He's, he's the main character. If you've not seen this, this is going to be full of spoilers. All right, I'm sorry. I'm going to ruin the movie for you. Uh, but Simba is playing with a friend, doing something he's not supposed to do, and an oncoming stampede comes. And Simba's this little lion cub. He's the heir to the throne. His, his father, Mufasa, is he's the head of the animal kingdom. And the stampede is coming, and out of nowhere, Mufasa comes and saves his son from the oncoming stampede. 
and you're just like, oh, your, your energy's high, your heart's beating, you're like, oh, that was crazy. And then you see the scene of Mufasa hanging from a cliff because in all of this, he got tripped up and is now hanging from his life. And up walks Scar. And you instantly know, well, named terribly, but you instantly know he's the bad guy. No one should have a scar on their eye like that um, and be good. Like, that's just, it's not going to happen. But he comes up, and instead of rescuing his brother, he lets him fall. He actually, if you know the scene, pushes him to the oncoming stampede, and Mufasa the king dies. And we know it's because he is jealous. He wants the, the throne. He wants his agenda to be pushed in the animal kingdom. He wants his way. And then the dust settles. And goodness, this is the scene. I, I would never, my, my four-year-old daughter's heart would just literally palpitate. Like, is that the word? He would she would just lose it. Like, she'd just be gone. Because he's lying there, Mufasa, and Simba walks up and tries to wake up his dad. He tries to wake him up. Dad, are you okay? And then out of the background, Scar approaches, and instead of comforting his nephew, he plants a deeply rooted and very personal lie. He says, you killed the king. You are a murderer. And as this hits Simba's face, he is so ready to hear the next command from Scar. Some of you, this is like a really quotable, like quotable quote right here. He says, run away and never return. And so Simba takes everything that he has, all of who he is, and runs. And literally grows up in this belief that I killed my dad. I am a murderer. It was a very deeply rooted and a very personal lie. Now hear me when I say this. Many of you don't have the scar person in your life who spoke the, the lie. But I've led small groups where a freshman boy finally opened up about a lie that was planted by his dad. And they have an amazing relationship. But when he was a little boy, he said, Dad, I'm going to take you. And his dad said, no, you're too small. And for some reason... That spoke the lie. And so as people were growing and maturing, he stayed short. And it was this lie planted by the enemy, you are small, non-existent. Maybe it wasn't a scar person, the enemy in your life, but it was a father, a friend. It was very small words as a child that it planted this very personal lie. Or maybe it's more vague. It was society. This depiction of what it looks like to be a man and you don't fit the mark and so a lie was formed. Or a depiction of what beauty should be like and you don't fit the mark and so a lie was formed. Whatever it may be, we have to realize that the reason you run, you put up barriers, is involved with your lie. It is so closely related to your lie. I wrote some down, if they knew the real me, they would never accept me. If they knew how bad it actually got, I don't want to get hurt. Again, I don't deserve this. I don't fit in here. I have to be better. Some of you believe your value is only in what you do. I have to do better. A lie that you believe is I, ha I will never be complete again. 
I will never be loved. I have too many issues. It'll never work out. People will always leave. I am overlooked. And as this lie festers, it begins to be the very reason we hit the eject button. It begins to be the very reason you and I push that eject button. And I will tell you, the enemy loves to speak run away, never return. Run away. You remember when you prayed that and you felt like God was quiet? Run away, never return to that prayer again. You remember when you, when you, when you fought for that and it didn't happen? Run away and never return to it again. You remember when you, when you thought this way and you thought you would be loved and you opened up about your past and then they betrayed you? Run away and never return to it again. What is your lie? Maybe this week you could like spend some time journaling through that. Maybe some of them stood out to you and you can write it down that that is a lie that you believe about yourself. But I will tell you, until we start taking ownership of our lie, we will miss the beauty of the coming to Jesus. Until we start asking God, reverse it, show me your truth, then we will always run. What is your lie? I know we see in the story Simba's life completely changed. But can we pause and just like focus on what did Scar get out of it? What did Scar gain by spreading that lie? Think about it very practically. Here was the heir to the throne. If Scar was to finally push his agenda on the animal kingdom, then Simba would have to leave. Simba was the heir. He was the son of the king. And Scar knew, I need him out of the picture if my agenda is going to be spoken to these people. Now, I wonder, like, I don't want to, like, push the, this, like, overly Bibled version, but you ready for this? The enemy knows. If I get them to neglect their sonship, the fact that they are heirs to the holy, mighty king, then I can push my agenda on their family because they won't be in action do you see that? Like if I can, can get them to believe that they are what they fear, then they will completely disown their sonship in this instance. And what I can do is my agenda will spread in the, in the, in the kingdom. My agenda. I can have authority in ways that I didn't because they aren't taking their heir. Do you know we are co-heirs with Christ? We are co-heirs. We have an inheritance of the saints. One of Paul's prayers in Ephesians is that we would come to know the inheritance that we have as the saints. I think it's because as we come to know this, there's no reason to push that button. Because my God will not forsake me. He is my heavenly father. I am a redeemed son of the most high. I will not listen to that anymore. No, Scar, I have a family there, a right, and they need to be led. And so I won't listen to that lie. Think about it. Peter in the Gospels is a one character that I feel like I can resonate with a lot. He always puts his foot in his mouth. He always has that eject button, ready to run or draw a sword and cut someone's ear off. Like he's always, he's ready. He's ready for it. But Peter, goodness, he's a man who was with Jesus so often, yet still when the push comes to shove and Jesus is on trial, a little girl asks and says, you follow him. He follows that Jesus guy and Peter denies him. 
Because in the moment when it got hard, Peter hit the eject button. Shame kept him running. And I think about all the people that I've worked with in my life and ministry. I'll tell you, if you want to know one of the hardest things about being a pastor, it is this. I like... I have the gift of being able to see potential in people. And I love calling it out. Like I look out and I see people, marriages that would be mighty, like displays of God's peace and love and hope. And I see that and I love calling it out. But the hardest part about ministry is it seems like when vulnerability is, is on display, when, when people are making grounds, when band-aids have been ripped off and healing is happening and we're like making way and people are serving for the real reasons and they're giving their time and energy, then something always happens, Right? Because when we make way in the kingdom of God, we're going against the ways of the world and they start pushing back. And it's their decision in that moment. Am I going to take ownership of who I am and come to Jesus? Or am I going to fall back on that insecurity? And it sucks. This is the reason it's so hard. is because as a pastor, as someone outside of that, I have no part in it. I can try to remind them the truth, but it's their decision. I could try to remind them of the truth, but it's their decision. One thing happens, and Peter denies. One thing that was unexpected, and we run. One thing that was unplanned, one thing that was uncomfortable, and that eject button, it just begs to be pushed. But I want to know that you want to know the truth right here? You want to know the truth? Right? This. It is in that moment. When the eject button is highlighted, it's in that moment that the enemy is more afraid of you claiming your sonship than ever before. It is in that moment where Scar is afraid of the little heir that he is with. Because if that little heir takes, it takes the kingdom, then my agenda is gone. We have to realize that in the moment when you want to hide away, it's because the enemy is so afraid of what you would do if you pressed in. The enemy is so afraid of what you would do if you decided to be vulnerable instead. The enemy is so afraid of what you would do if you actually worshiped Jesus, if you came to him and saw the grace that is present there. The enemy knew if that prodigal son walks into the presence of his father, he's gonna get hugged. Like, I gotta keep him away. What if shame kept the prodigal son in the pig pen? Like, what if shame? I bet for a while it did. But the enemy knew I am more afraid of that boy in that father's arms. <sighs> I got to keep him away from that moment. Got to keep him running away. Your running will always hurt your coming. But there is no depth, no height that can separate me from father, so I'm going to keep trusting him. There's no sin. There's no hardship. There's no setback that will limit you from his grace. And so we keep going. We keep pushing forward. And it's hard. We got to take ownership of our lies. But goodness, it is worth it. As we end this morning, I want to go back to Peter because there's this beautiful, beautiful interaction where he is out on a boat. Jesus comes back after Jesus is resurrected. He's got the holes in his hands and everything, and he asks Peter to come to breakfast with him. They're like out of, out of fire, there's some fish there. And Peter talks to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, 
And notice what he doesn't say is anything about why didn't you come to me? He didn't say anything about you should have drew near. He didn't say anything about you, you come because of your personal needs. He instead just said, Peter, do you love me? And then he showed us something beautiful about the come that we miss when we run. The quote is directly this, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Why? Because your coming to Glory Church has way less to do with you and way more to do with the ripple effect that your presence here will be when you push in, when you press in. That's what the enemy is afraid of, is Peter feeding sheep. The enemy is so afraid of what you would do if you actually realized that coming involves serving, that coming involves feeding, that coming involves tending. Glory family, I will tell you the most dangerous thing that you can do for our church is come and sit idle. Because what you're doing in that moment is feeding into the lies that the enemy has told you year after year. But as we come to Jesus, we will start realizing there's this beautiful commission in it. That I come because there's people to be fed. I come not just for me, but now to feed the sheep. It's not about me anymore. And now there's no reason to run because it's not about me. Do you get that? When it's about you, then you'll run when it gets fearful for you. But when you come and realize it's not about me, then there's no reason for me to leave because the focus isn't on me. It's not on my failures. Glory family, I want to be a church like that. That forgoes the run to step into the beauty of the come. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.